Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. I hope you enjoy. Well, it's a new year, but you already know that. It's a week old. Anyone make any New Year's resolutions? Any that you kept this week and now have already failed? This message is for you. You know, I think it's kind of natural that a year comes and goes, and it's kind of just a natural breaking point to stop and kind of reflect on life and kind of see where things are at and where we're going and to be intentional about the important things in our life. Uh, Richard did a great job last Sunday. He was preaching on this understanding of God's grace that has been shown to us, you know, through the forgiveness of our sins, and that it doesn't stop there, though, that then it kind of radiates out from us to others around us. He shared the story about Zacchaeus, who once he encountered Christ, it changed his heart, and he generously gave back to those he'd stolen from. And, and so we see this um, freshness, uh, a restart, the thing that Christ does in our life, not only once, but on an ongoing basis. And so I kind of think that at New Year's, we kind of stop and pause and reflect. People make many resolutions because they want to prioritize really what's important in their life, and they know that they have to make changes, right? I think that's why they do it for all sorts of different things. Uh, You can weigh the merits of it and you can debate the success of it because often it doesn't change much. But I think it's good to stop. I think it's good to stop and reflect, whether it's at New Year's or any time of year, and consider what matters most in life. Because I don't believe if we're not intentional about what it is that Christ is calling us to as his followers, we'll probably just carry on in the same rhythms and patterns that we've had. Not that all of those are bad, but some of them we need to change. And so spiritually speaking, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, what I'm wanting to do today at the beginning of a new year is to ensure that we're on board with what God would have for us. And I think this is what it is in simple terms, that he's wanting us continually to align our lives to his will, right? I think most of us here who are followers of Christ would say, yes, that's what I'm trying to do. Now, of course, we understand that that's easier said than done. It's part of the ongoing nature of the struggle that we have, that Christ is in the driver's seat of our life, right? We made a decision, we said yes to him, we heard his voice, he calls us to himself, we respond to him, we say, yes, you're our Lord. And we put him in the driver's seat, but it's not too long before we say, hey, hey, you're not driving this car quite right, get out of the way, let me do it. And that's kind of the ongoing relationship that we have with God in our lives where we keep taking back that driver's uh, steering wheel from, from Christ. Paul put it like this, he called the work of the Holy Spirit within us Um, that our role is to keep in step with the Spirit. Really good language, right? Keeping in step with the Spirit is this kind of continual back and forth listening and evaluating and walking with God. It's easy for us to slip back. And so at this time, what I want us to do as we begin the new year is pause, reflect, evaluate, reset. That's what we're going to do. Um... But before we jump into kind of what we normally do, which is lay out a game plan, right? Okay, I'm going to do this different, and I'm going to do this, and we start laying out the game plan for the year. This Sunday is not to lay out the game plan. What I want us to do first and foremost is to reflect on this question, how is your heart with God? Something along that line. Where is my relationship at with God? Because I think that before we jump into a plan, we need to just stop and be and reflect and make sure that we're in a good place with God in our heart. It's easy for us to ask the question or to think the question about someone else. I wonder where they're at with the Lord, right? Have you ever done that? Of course we do that, and it's kind of natural. It's not that that's a bad thing, but I think first and foremost, at the start of a new year, it's the question we need to ask ourselves. Where is my heart at with the Lord? 
Now, the Bible uses this heart language a lot. Um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. Uh, we talk a lot about it a lot. But if you're not a Christian or you're new to the Christian faith, you might be wondering how exactly are you talking about the heart. Um, I would term it like this, that the Bible refers to the heart as the center of our being, which is the place from which we make decisions. It's kind of like the center from where our intellect and our emotions and our will all combine together uh, to define really who I am as a person. Not to get too technical, but it's the way in which we make all of our decisions. Those three things are coming together all the time between what my knowledge or my intellect is, uh, with my emotions about that, my passion for it, and then connected to my will or my desire to do something with it. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So it's kind of like, this is really important. This is the center of who you are. This is what matters most in your life. Guard your heart. And that's why I want to pause at the start of a new year and say, where is our heart with God? Psalm 51.10 says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And I think that captures exactly what we're talking about here this morning is I want to assess my heart. I want to make sure it's soft before God, but then I also want to make sure that the Spirit of God helps me be steadfast in my spirit to walk with the Lord. So that's what we're talking about here today. Earlier this week, I was listening to a post-game interview with Bruce Boudreaux. You might know that name. He's the coach of the Vancouver Canucks. And he was pretty vocal about questioning his players and their heart for the game. He said this, I can't step on the ice and do it for them they have to choose up, choose to show up and play. So really what he was questioning is, um, where's your heart for the game? I, as a coach, can't do it for you. You've got to demonstrate it on the ice by your desire to show up and play. Of course, they came out the next game and they won. So maybe those kinds of pep talks work. I think that we get, uh, we get it when we're talking about the heart, so I don't want to spend too much time there, right? How is my heart with God is what I'm wanting us to consider today. Uh, we know that there are times when we feel like our heart is close to God. He feels close to us. We feel close to him. Uh, we have a sense that he's in our lives and he's directing our lives. Uh, he's answering prayers. We have all these kinds of sensory things that we indicate that something about life is going well and God is good in our life. Something like that. But you know, the exact opposite can be true as well. You can have the experience where you feel like God is not in your life. You can feel like um, nothing is going well and you're even wondering if he's hearing you or he's um, capable of making a difference in your life. Now, whether things are going well or things are really hard and overwhelming, both of those pose a challenge to us in our heart toward God. On the one hand, if everything's going well, I can become pretty comfortable in life and I can begin to take God for granted. I'm not seeking him in prayer. I'm not giving thanks to him. I'm not engaging and interacting with him, I'm just kind of like, I'm not sure I really need God because look at everything in life is going well. On the flip side, so you have a heart that's indifferent or apathetic. On the flip side, you can have a heart that is like going, God, where are you? And it feels like it's cold, right? He feels distance, your heart starts to maybe become hardened and you're not seeking God and you're not engaging with God and pretty soon your faith starts to fizzle. So we have to be aware that both the heart that's indifferent or the heart that is hard 
can come from any of those circumstances in life. And I think we all face those. You're somewhere on that pendulum between everything's going great to everything could be worse in my life. We're all in there somewhere. I like to think of it as keeping our hearts soft and pliable. Uh, like a potter who's making something, a vessel out of clay, uh, you can only mold it while it's soft, right? If it gets hard, you just have to break it. It's no good. So we want to keep our hearts soft before God. But I also had this imagery come to me this week about a rubber ball, which isn't really pliable, but it's got elastic in it, right? And you, you bounce the ball, and what happens? Boing, comes back up again. As long as that ball retains that elasticity, it's going to bounce back and forth between the ground and your hand. And uh, if it loses that elasticity, like some of my basketballs that are sitting in my driveway right now, when you go to bounce it, it just goes plunk, and it doesn't come back up again. Uh, that can happen to us in a, in a spiritual sense. Our hearts, our faith can become cold. It, it, it's not soft and pliable like the bouncy ball. It doesn't bounce back and forth between, you know, my life and the hand of God. Uh, it's gone cold. It's lost its bounce. And maybe that's where you feel like you're at today. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what's happened in Jesus Christ. That's what he's done for us. But we know that if we don't pay attention, our heart can continue to grow cold. I'm going to assume that at this new year, those of us who are listening today, who are followers of Jesus Christ, are saying, I want to keep my heart soft toward God because I want him to continue to shape my life. I want him to continue to develop and deepen my character. I want him to be my guide as I go through this world because there's many distractions. There's many voices. There's many luring things that can tempt me or draw me away from God. There's many hard things that make me wonder and maybe doubt. I'm going to assume this morning that most of us want our lives to count that we want to have that statement to be true of us that I exist to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and it begins now in this world. This is the testing grounds for our enjoyment of God forever. But even if you're on board with that and you can say, yeah, I, I, that's what I want, you know, up here in the head. Maybe an honest response is, but in my heart I don't feel it. And that's fair because that's how life goes. You might be thinking, I want to have a soft heart towards God, but how do I get there? Like, how do I get back to that? So let's talk about that this morning. I want to share a verse with you that God, I feel, gave to me over the Christmas break. I was just doing my regular readings, uh, finishing up the book of Isaiah. And I came to Isaiah 61, which is towards the end of the book, verse 10. And I want to read it for us. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. I'll stop there. When I read those first two lines of that verse, I just paused. And I asked myself these two questions. Do I delight myself in the Lord? Does my soul rejoice in my God? It was a moment for me to pause and to reflect on that. And if I think about my original question of how is your heart for God, I think if I could answer like this person speaking here, I think you would know that your heart is in a pretty good place with God. Would you agree? If you could say that, then I think your assessment of where you're at with the Lord would be good. But I had to have some honest evaluation going on here. As I asked those questions of myself, 
I then thought about the year. And I thought, how often throughout the course of the year is that true of me? And I humbly submit that I think it's more rare than it is constant. And maybe that's your experience too. That as you go through the course of the year, it feels more like a grind and it feels more like there's trials and tribulations and things that are just always pressing against you. And the delight in the Lord and the rejoicing of God isn't at the forefront of how you feel about life. So I'm asking the question, do I delight in God? And if not, why not? What does it mean to delight in God? What does that look like? That's how my mind worked. You know, I was like, okay, if this person's having an experience with God and he can say, I delight in the Lord and my soul rejoices, what does that look like and how do I get there? And so I started thinking about things that I delight in. And I started thinking about the whole idea of delighting in something. Uh, You get caught up in it. You're kind of consumed by it. You're thinking about it. You're engaged in it. Uh, You're talking about it to other people. That kind of a thing when you delight in something or someone, right? You're talking about it. It's like a hobby or an interest that you have. And maybe you have one. Think about your hobby or interest. You know that I have an interest in sports. I would call it a hobby. I like it. Um, It's a diverse hobby. I I have the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB. Quite a diverse range of hobbies. Okay, so because I love sports, this is what I do. I kind of track who's playing who and if they win or if they lose. If they're at the top of the division or if they're down at the bottom with the Canucks hanging out there. Um, if they're having a breakout year like Horvat because he wants to sign a very large contract, or if it's like Huberto who had an amazing contract and now isn't performing for Calgary. I mean, whatever the situation is, I want to know about hockey, right? Because I'm interested in it. I even joined a hockey pool with my son so I could prove what dad doesn't know about how to draft a team. When you delight yourself in something, you take an interest in it. That's the point. The other day, I was listening to two people talk about a movie producer. I don't even know, like, okay, I know one, Steven Spielberg. There you go, one. So they're talking about this guy, but they could name all of the movies he's made. 13, I heard. And then they could name who played the main stars in those movies and what other movies they played in. And I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm going, huh, how is it that whether you're interested in sports or interested in movies or interested in anything, you can kind of bring up the facts and talk about it pretty readily. It's because you delight in it. There's something about it that piques your interest, that engages your heart, that then consumes you. Okay, so that's kind of a picture of delighting. And what I'm wanting to do here this morning is if we can understand how we delight in these other things like hobbies, is there any way that we could translate that to our understanding of maybe how we would delight ourselves in God? If we know that we need to spend time in order to learn a hobby, and then it takes time to engage with a hobby, there's one thing that's coming to the surface, time, okay? We put our time somewhere, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, we all get the same amount, right? You put your time somewhere, you take that time, and it often creates an interest in wherever you put that time, and often you spend your money there, right? Okay, so where I'm trying to translate this to is, do we think that we will delight in the Lord if we don't take time with the Lord? If we don't allow him to really engage into my thought life throughout the course of the day, dedicated times wherever you can find it, whether there's short moments reflecting on God or whether it's kind of like kids are still in bed and I got up early so I could read something or I stayed up late so I could read something and engage with God. If we don't engage with him and give him time, will we ever get to the place of delighting in him? But maybe you're thinking, Rod, that's exactly what I want. But how? (laughs) I can't will it, you know? The old willpower thing, just will it. And it's like, I can't will delight. Delight 
is a response to something. So let's look at our verse again because I think we have a clue in this verse that I was reading. Uh, we want to get to the delight and the rejoicing, but how? Look at that part I've highlighted there that says, for or because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Okay, this person is responding. Something has been done for them that they either didn't expect or felt they didn't deserve or whatever the circumstances are, and they're saying, that has been done for me, therefore... I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, that's true of us too, isn't it? Like, I mean, we have the option to reflect on what it is that God has done in our own salvation story, which should cause our hearts to delight in the Lord. That's what this table is all about here today. We can do that. We can slow down. We can reflect on God's amazing grace again and again and again that he saved us from our sinfulness and he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness, that we too have been clothed with a robe of righteousness, Romans 3.22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's ours. You can't make it, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't, no. To those who believe, it is given to you through faith as we saw demonstrated today. Maybe you've forgotten your first love, so to speak, the joy of your salvation, the joy of God's salvation in you that produced this wonderful good news, this salvation. And uh, in the book of Revelation, the author John, um, a message from an angel, was sharing about churches that had lost their first love. One of them was Ephesus, and uh, it says this in Revelation 2.4, yet I hold this against you. This is the spirit of God speaking to this church, Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Well, we understand that, right? They've allowed their love to grow cold. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Well, that's good. That's actually a good plan right there. That's getting into the planning side, though. Repent and do the things you did at first. Reading your Bible, spending time with God, sharing with others. Rekindle your delight for God by reviewing his incredible salvation in your own life. Now, to help us with this, there's one more verse right on the heels of um, Isaiah 61.10. It's verse 11 that I think kind of helps us with one more piece of this equation. So he's saying, I delight in the Lord. My heart rejoices. Why? For he's clothed me in salvation, righteousness, all that, right? And then verse 60, uh, I mean, verse 11 comes along and it says, For as the soil makes the sprout grow or come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And you might be going, okay, Rod, a little technical there, or complicated, help me understand this. It's an analogy. It's an analogy that, as the soil or as a garden, is the thing from which it produces fruit and life, right? So it is that the person who is in Christ, who trusts in God, God produces something out of them. In other words... The joy and the delight is a byproduct of the work of God in your life. That's what it is. And so we have the potential to be focusing on the wrong thing. We can be focusing on trying to produce the delight, and God says, no, delight yourself in me. If you focus on me, if you focus on my salvation and the garment of righteousness that I've placed on you, it's like the soil that produces fruit, I will produce in you that thing called delight and joy. So, we're at the start of a new year, and I'm trying to encourage us that before we get into our planning of how we're going to grow spiritually this year, which I want to talk about next week, 
I want us to assess our heart. I want us to look at what it is that we could do to spend time with God to allow our hearts to delight in him. Here's a few things that I thought could be way of application for you if you want to take this as homework this week. Review your own spiritual story of God's saving grace in your life. Take the time to think it through. Secondly, repent of pushing God out of the driver's seat of your life. Third, refresh. Refresh your spirit in the truth of your salvation by meditating on God's word. So the first one, review, is your personal story of how God's worked in your life and drawn you to himself. The third one is focusing on the word of God, the objectivity of what God says is true of you in your salvation. Because sometimes our feelings, they don't tell the true story. We must hold on to the truth of God's word. Let me break this down a little bit for you. In reviewing your story, in reviewing your story, revisit the wonder of his amazing grace. Think back to when this was fresh in your heart and rekindle the feeling of his unconditional love for you. I heard that in James' testimony when he experienced the forgiveness of God for him. That's God's unconditional love for each of us. Do you remember how he worked in your life, how he drew you to himself, and how he gave you eternal life? It is the work of God in us. There's no doubt about that, folks but he requires us to respond to him as well. The second point about repenting, of pushing God out of the driver's seat of your life, that's my little analogy of what I think happens in my own heart. I think it's really this question we're wrestling with. Do I trust God with my life or not? Like when things aren't going well, in those moments, I think what I'm doing when I try to do it myself is I'm not trusting God with my life. And I think that's a very common struggle for most of us. And I want to come back to that illustration that I briefly touched on about the potter and the clay. Because in that illustration, it comes from Jeremiah 18. And uh, I think there's the point made about the pottery being soft or the clay being soft so the potter can shape it. That's a true point, but that's not the point that's made from Jeremiah 18. The point that's made from Jeremiah 18 is that the clay cannot say to the potter, I don't like what you're making. (laughs) The clay doesn't get the opportunity to say to the potter, could you please make me for some other purpose? No, the potter is the designer. The potter is the one who determines what he does with the clay. We are the clay. That's the point of that illustration. And then Isaiah 45 verse 9, it kind of captures the same sentiment. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? You made me wrong. You made this wrong. I think when it comes to assessing our hearts before God, this is one of our greatest challenges. Do I trust him with my life or not? Is my heart soft in the sense that I'm accepting his will for my life? Or is my heart hard because I don't like what he's doing with this piece of clay? Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Yes, I want times of refreshing from the Lord to come to me. And that leads me into our final point about this refresh. Refresh your spirit in the truth of your salvation by meditating on God's word. 
That's what this person in Isaiah was doing. For he's clothed me in, with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He's reflecting, meditating on the truth of what God has done. And it's causing in him to delight in the Lord. And so I want to take that and say, okay, what are some of the verses I might reflect on as it relates to salvation? Well, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a great verse. Ephesians 4, 8 to 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he loved me, he loved you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Two more. Ephesians 1.13 and 14, and if you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit Deposit in us, okay? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We're his. That's what he's trying to say. Maybe you feel like, well, I think I was his, but I don't know that I'm still his. You're his. It's a lie of the devil. You're his. You're in Christ. 1 John 5, 13. A verse my Sunday school teacher gave to me when I was in grade seven. He said, Rod, you're struggling with what's called assurance of salvation. Every time you put your eyes on yourself, you think you're not saved. Put your eyes on Jesus. Know what he has done for you. Your salvation's not in you. Your salvation's in him. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It doesn't say, so that you might have a pretty good idea. Ah, that you got a 50-50 chance. Ah, on that last day, you might see all your good works and line them up against your bad works and see which one weighs out better than the other. Nah. Our eyes are on Jesus. He is the Son of God in whom I've put my faith. I have eternal life. So those are the kinds of verses that I'm challenging you this week. Maybe you need to spend some time reviewing your own salvation story, reviewing and meditating on the word of God to allow your heart to become fresh and soft towards God that you might delight yourself in the Lord. You know, we're coming to the communion table here. We're going to be reflecting on the very thing that I've been trying to get our hearts to reflect on this morning, which is what Jesus Christ has done for us. The act of God's love demonstrated towards us once and for all in Jesus Christ, his son, who came into the world to give his life for us. The bread representing his body that was whipped and bruised and beaten, eventually died. The blood that was shed. These are imageries of the death of Christ, which was a perfect sacrifice given once for all so that our sin could be forgiven. That's the message right there. And, you know, he, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, remember me. You know, you don't have to wait till this very event to remember Christ once a month at Sardis Fellowship. You can do this every time that you eat bread or drink the cup. You can remember what Christ has done for you. Why? Why do we need to be remembering Christ? Well, we forget. Not only do we forget, but we fail to remember exactly what we've been talking about here this morning. We allow the fears and the failures and the frustrations and the doubts and the things in this world that just are not right to overshadow everything about what Christ came to be the light in the darkness. We allow the darkness to become so heavy upon us that we no longer believe that what Christ came to do has any effect. But it does. He changes lives. He's changed yours and he's changed mine. And he's put me into his family. He's put you into the family of God.
And no one can take that away from you. And so he asks us to remember what it is that he did, the greatest sacrifice in giving his life for each one of us, that we in our faith and we in our weakness, and as he said to the disciples, you will have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's how we overcome the world, is just by resting in this. What Jesus Christ did at the cross in his death and his resurrection, he's overcome the world. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.